Thank you, Father. Lord, we just thank you for your faithfulness, which comes out of your great love. We so appreciate it, Lord. Where would we be without you? In a mess. I certainly would be, Lord. So thank you for your faithfulness to me in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Well, I want to say something to you very simple this morning. It might take, just take five minutes. Well, then again, it might take five hours. <laughs> and uh, Tuesday morning when we were praying upstairs, some words came out, and I was listening to them, they registered my spirit, and I thought, ah, I've got the word for Sunday. Passion, purity, and power. What does not sound good? Passion, purity, and power. Now, who knows, you know, that uh, a textbook sermon has got an introduction, three points, and a conclusion. That's a textbook sermon. A really good textbook sermon has got an introduction, three points, and a conclusion, and all points start with the same letter. <laughs> Passion, purity, and power. But I'm sorry to disappoint you. I'm not going to speak in that now. See, but I was thinking about this. I thought, well, Lord, if I'm passionate in my love for God, I will want to be pure and move in God's power to bring Him glory, will I not? That makes sense to me. That's true, but only up to a point. Because as I began to think about being passionate for God, I thought, actually... I need to understand God's purity and holiness to really get hold of his love. And so this morning, I'm not really going to be speaking about passion, purity, and power. I'm going to be focusing on his purity and his love, sorry, his holiness. Because we do need to understand, it's fundamental to the Christian walk that we understand something of the purity and the holiness of God. Otherwise, we won't fully appreciate his love. You see, how can I understand how much God loves me? Do you know how? By understanding his holiness. That's how we're going to understand how much God loves us, by understanding God's holiness. If we don't really understand his holiness, we're not going to fully understand his love. So it's very, very important for us to understand God's holiness because only then will we really understand his love. I've just taken out, I've got three verses from the uh, three different places in the Bible here that I want to read out. There's stacks of other places I could have gone, but I like these. Psalm 47, 8 says this, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Isaiah 6, well-known verses 1 through to 8. I want to read them out. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood six seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door was shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. 
Holiness has an effect upon you. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Isaiah having an encounter with God at the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And in 1 Peter 1, verse 15 and 16, it's, God says this, Be holy, for I am holy. Be holy, for I am holy. But being holy, it's not legalism, it's not rules and regulations. It's total surrender to Jesus. Total surrender to God. You know, when it says there in, in Isaiah, holy, 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 it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible You know, grace, 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 love, 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 mercy, mercy, mercy. But it does say, holy, holy, holy. Why does it say that? It says in the Old Testament, it says in the New Testament. So it's in both the Testaments. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Well, some would say, speaking of the Trinity, Father's holy, Jesus is holy, Holy Spirit's holy. It also means in the kind of Hebrew background, what they would understand is this, that you can't become any holier than holy, holy, holy. That's the ultimate in holiness. So God is actually the ultimate in holiness. That's who God is. He's the ultimate in holiness. I looked up some different definitions of holiness, and it's like trying to describe the indescribable, actually. But I've put some stuff down here because we can't really describe the holiness of God. We can glimpse it, we can encounter it to a measure, but to describe it is humanly impossible. But listen to this, being holy, to be set apart, unique, in a class by oneself, having no rivals or competition, God doesn't. Hallowed, sacred, worthy of honor, God's absolute moral purity and perfection, the blinding radiance of God's light and beauty, the awesome majesty of God's glory. Wouldn't it be wonderful to encounter God like that, or would it? See, that's why in heaven there's perfect purity, perfect holiness, perfect light, but there's no sin, there's no problems, there's no darkness, there's no evil, because these things can't live in the presence of holiness. And now God is a holy God. And everything that God is, and everything that God does, is holy. God's love is a holy love. It's not just a mushy love. It's not a human love. It's a holy love. God's goodness is a holy goodness. God's power is a holy power. So everything that God is and everything that God does is holy. God's motives are holy motives. That's good because none of us have got holy motives. But God's motives are holy motives. His motives are always pure and holy and perfect towards us. That's good news, isn't it? Praise God for that. See, without 
the holiness of God, we don't really understand sin and we don't really understand grace. So if we want to understand the grace of God and realize that sin does have meaning, we need to understand something of the holiness of God. Because if we don't, we'll just see sin as merely human failure. But it's not that. It's failure in the sight of God. And each one would define sin in different ways, wouldn't we? Because we all think differently. Everything would be relative. But holiness helps us understand what sin is. And as God, because he is a holy God, he needs to deal with sin. And if we don't understand that, we won't fully understand his love. You know, it was because of God's great love towards us that he planned a way so his holiness could be satisfied and his love expressed at Calvary. That's the thing. Holiness and love kissed on the cross. The cross is not just about the love of God, it's about the holiness of God. God's wrath was satisfied and Jesus took our punishment. So we no longer have to bear punishment. Now God disciplines us and he corrects us in his love, but he doesn't punish us. Because on the cross, holiness and love kissed. Hallelujah. So let's just look a little bit at the cross. You know, way back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, God, he went out and he killed an animal and he clothed them. In other words, God shed blood himself and God clothed Adam and Eve to cover them. Isn't that amazing? Pointing to Jesus who was to come. You see, I believe back in the garden, I believe God killed a lamb. I believe God killed a lamb without spot or blemish. I can only say I believe that because it doesn't actually say that, but I believe that God killed a lamb without spot or blemish. Blood was shed and Adam and Eve were covered. God himself provided the sacrifice. It says this about Jesus in Isaiah, pointing to Jesus. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. That's what happens when we come to Jesus. The blood is shed. We are covered then with a robe of righteousness. And we see way back in the garden, God was pointing prophetically to the Lamb of God who is yet to come and shed his blood once and for all for you and for me. See, blood had to be shed and the price had to be paid because God must deal with sin. He must deal with sin. God cannot ignore sin. His holiness will not allow him to ignore sin. That is why it was holiness and love that kissed on the cross, not just love. And sometimes I think that maybe our gospel is a bit too cheap. It's okay. God loves you. Just come to Jesus and life will be fine. I think we need to understand why Jesus died on the cross. You see, if God is not a holy God, the cross of Jesus Christ serves no purpose. 
What's the purpose of the cross if God isn't holy? If God's holiness didn't have to be satisfied, if God didn't have to to deal with sin, what was the purpose of Jesus dying on the cross? (laughs) It was because God so loved the world, He found a way for His holiness to be satisfied. Therefore, Jesus willingly came from heaven to earth to become the sacrificial lamb of God, to die in your place and my place, to shed his blood once and for all that we can be forgiven, reconciled to Father God, and covered in a robe of righteousness. If we don't understand that, brothers and sisters, we do not understand God's love. A price had to be paid because sin had to be dealt with. And as a way back in the garden, God himself provided the sacrifice. At the cross of Calvary, God himself provided the sacrifice and gave us his only son. Now that's awesome. But that gives true meaning to the cross of Jesus Christ. If we don't understand that, we don't really understand the cross, and there's no way we can understand God's love. That God would love us so much, He'd allow His Son to die for us and go through that kind of death and take our sin and our sickness and disease upon Himself and even be separated from His Father for the first time in His life and cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God allow His Son to do that because He loves us and because God so loves the world. And there was no other way back to our holy God's presence. It's set through the cross and blood of Jesus Christ. That's why the price had to be paid. You know, throughout the Old Testament, there's all the blood sacrifices. and You think about this. There was all the blood sacrifices, but the high priest could only go into the presence of God once a year, And when he went in, they tied a rope around him. So if he did something wrong in the presence of a holy God and died, they could pull him out of the Holy of Holies. Think about that. But when Jesus came and he cried out, it is finished on the cross, that veil to the Holy of Holies was torn in two from top to bottom, and those that believe in Jesus now have access and come into the Holy of Holies any time of the day or night, and it's the same holy place where the high priest came in and they tied a rope around him to pull him out. We have access to a holy God, a God who is perfect. We have access to him because we're covered by the blood and we wear a robe of righteousness. This isn't cheap grace, brothers and sisters. This is meaningful grace. If we don't understand God's holiness, we do not understand His grace. Jesus paid the price. What a price. Holiness and love kissed. Praise God for that. Praise God for it.
During revival, I believe that one of the things that God does is take us back to the cross. See, we've got to live the other side of the cross. We know we've got a brand new identity, a fresh start in life, and we want to move in God's resurrection power. What we've got to be careful of, we don't leave the cross behind us, or it gets so far behind us, it's actually out of sight, because Jesus says, take up your cross daily. He who loses his life for my sake in the gospel will find it. I think we need to be living in that place where we have the, the crucifixion and the resurrection, hell's intention. Where we embrace the cross. It talks in the, in the New Testament about some Christians actually being enemies of the cross. Let me ask you this morning, are you an enemy or a friend of the cross of Jesus? Do you embrace the cross in your daily life? Do I embrace the cross in my daily life? Am I prepared to die to self that I might live for Jesus or that he might live in through me? The cross hasn't lost its power. It talks in Corinthians about the power of the cross to us who are being saved. It's not just for unbelievers. Brothers and sisters, you and I are still being saved. We've been saved from the world, the flesh, and the devil. We've been saved from ourselves. My greatest enemy is me, and I live inside of me. How about you? I need the power of the cross to go on working in my life till that day when Jesus returns. And so do you. To us who are being saved. If you're being saved this morning, you need the power of the cross still to work in your life, and so do I. Count ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Let me read you a revival quote. Who's heard of Leonard Ravenhill? He's not an easy read. He says this, Revival is when God gets so sick and tired of being misrepresented, he shows up himself. Isn't that powerful? What God do we represent? I like that. And another one. Revival is the visitation of God which brings to life Christians who have been sleeping and restores a deep sense of God's near presence and holiness. So each revival has its own distinctive features, but there's similarities. In the church in this nation, I believe God's taken us into revival. There's a river flowing. That river is getting deeper, and the river is going into the sea of mankind. But we're at a place in the river where I think we're going to start and experience God's holy presence that brings conviction as well as change in our lives. See, when God, and I've only experienced it a few times, but when God turns up in his, <coughs> in his holiness, there's that sense of being loved, but that sense of feeling unworthy at the same time. It's difficult to explain, but that's what happens. And you want to get rid of all the sin in your life. You're just aware of things you're doing wrong. That's what happens. The closer we get to God, the more we need to change. That's why a wise man said that each one of us is only as close to God as we want to be. Well, I want to be close to God. Another man called Roy Hessian, some of you may have read some of his stuff years ago. He wrote a famous book called The Calvary Road. 
He says this, revival isn't going down the street with a big drum. It's going back to Calvary with a big sob. Revival isn't going down the street with a big drum. It's going back to Calvary with a big sob. I find it interesting that in recent weeks I'm praying about God's holy revival fire because I want us to move up a level, not just in the church. I want to see the nation saved. And part of that I recognize is the cross of Jesus and maybe I need to be confronted with the cross again. And uh, Tuesday I was upstairs and just praying about this and I just wanted to look up and see if there was something suitable on YouTube that I could just watch, maybe even show. And uh, when the film The Passion of Christ came out, I didn't go to see it. Who went to see that? I thought I couldn't stand that film and break my heart. So I didn't go to see it, neither did Alison. But there was a little snippet on YouTube. I thought, well, that's pretty, probably pretty safe. I'll watch this snippet on YouTube. And I watched some of it. And it came to the place where they're putting the nails into Jesus. And something, I was crying out, my, no! And I wanted to run for, that should be me! No! That should be me. And I fell upon my knees and I sobbed and I sobbed and I sobbed for about 15 minutes and all I heard my voice saying was this, that should be me. That shouldn't be Jesus. That should be me. See, that should be each one of us. It shouldn't have been Jesus on the cross. It should have been you and it should have been me. I just think that's an indication of where we are in our journey. I believe that each and every one of us needs to come back to the cross of Jesus and discover something afresh at the cross because God's got something fresh at the cross for us. I remember Jill a few years ago, she had a word about the cross, the place of great exchange. See, some of the ministry that we do in church, it's fine, you know, we pray for people and do all this kind of thing. But maybe we need to start asking people, have you been to the cross with us yet? Have you knelt at the foot of the cross and brought this to Jesus yet? See, I think we need to get back there. We need to realize there's power in the cross. And that the power that cross had 2,000 years ago is available to you and me today. How about bringing a sin to the cross afresh? How about nailing it to the cross? How about bringing a sickness to the cross and seeing it laid upon Jesus? How about bringing our problems to the cross and recognizing Jesus paid the price that we could walk in victory? See, the the cross is both a place of sacrifice and of victory. And I think God wants us to come back to the cross. I find it very interesting the most revivals you read about, there's always a good measure of the cross and people are aware of the cross of Jesus. I find it also very interesting that 85% of those born again in revivals finish their race. Do you know why that is? Because they're thoroughly born again. Because they've encountered something of God's holiness which broke their heart, but through that they've understood His love and they want to spend the rest of their lives loving Him and serving Him. I think that's where God wants to take us. I think that's a great thing, personally. 
I think that's great. The love of God at the cross. His holiness being satisfied. And when we understand that, we'll understand how much God loves us. So, Father, take us to that place. So how can we understand how much God loves us? By understanding His holiness. And I believe that when we do that, when we understand more fully God's holiness, we'll be a people passionate in love with God who want to walk in purity and move in His power in order to bring in glory. There's your three Ps. Because we want to win our town and our region and our nation for Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God, do we not? Could we stand, please? Father, it's very simple, but it's profound. And Father, I just ask by your grace you would do something deep in our hearts. God, that we would understand that holiness is something beautiful that reflects you. The Bible talks about the beauty of holiness. God, it's not uh, rules and regulations. It's not legalism. Lord, it's understanding that your holiness was satisfied on the cross and that your love was expressed. God, that each one of us in a new way from today would understand how much God loves us because he allowed his son to become the sacrificial lamb. Lord, just like in the garden, the blood would shed and the covering took place and God himself provided the sacrifice. God, that truly is amazing grace. Nothing that we deserved, initiated by you, <laughs> provided for by you, and completed in you. Jesus cried out, it is finished. Father, that was for each and every one of us. So Holy Spirit, please do something deep in our heart, something real and meaningful, and take us to a new place of understanding of the cross of Calvary that we might also walk in your resurrection power. God, bring these things together in our lives in a whole new way from this day forward in Jesus' wonderful name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.